Coming up this week, Amy Winehouse gets the documentary treatment with Amy, Justin Long and Emmy Rossum are star-crossed lovers in Comet, the boys from Tampa are back in Magic Mike XXL, the war for the future begins again with Terminator Genesis, and the true origins of cinema are revealed in documentary The First Film. All of those to come and more off-screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen, the on screen radio show. Welcome off screen. I'm Van Connor, and I'm John Coulson. So we know what we've got to come. So should we? Uh, should we start with a look at uh, Magic Mike XXL? I think we it? should. This is this is going to be the real heavy hitter this week. I mean, they can they can put out as many Terminator sequels as they like, but I think we know what's, what's putting bums on seats, <laughs> and indeed, and indeed, bums on screen as well as on seats. Both both ways it works. <laughs> bums on screen, bums on seats. It works either way. So uh, Magic Mike XXL, um, which obviously is a sequel to Magic Mike, and it's only been three years. Since Magic Mike, would you believe? Yeah, but there's been there's been uh, advertising for it for a while. It feels r- like we've had three years of advertising. Yeah, the for rumors it. started and everyone's been going mad. Yeah, this time it's well, it, it's bigger, it's bolder, it's more spectacular. Nice. Is, the, is the marketing thing? I mean, the tagline for the film is literally "You're welcome." So <laughs> make, <laughs> make of that what you will. Right, so. Admittedly, this is not one that's big on story, but what little we've got for a story is essentially Mike uh, departed at the end of the last film. He gave up the stripper life and he went into custom furniture building. Oh, yeah, he did. Which, yeah, that's yeah. His, his civilian life. And, uh, well, he's finding it a little bit dissatisfying. He's sort of weighed under the pressure of regular life. Is he wearing too much shirt? Wearing too much shirt, that's it. And so Mike Lane, played by Channing Tatum, uh, basically reunites with his friends to go on one last ride, one last hurrah and basically they take a road trip uh, up to Myrtle Beach for the annual stripper convention where they're going to make one last go of it here's a clip is this uh, is this how the whole trip is going to be you're going to you're going to be on this thing the whole time relax i got a bunch of orders just came in all the guys at the shop are just freaking out you're going to be here be here man be present okay i'll be present all right that's it what are you yo what, what are you doing iphone went by phone are you serious right now what am I supposed to do? I should chuck your big ass right off of this pro. That's the Mikey I remember. Look, if you ain't ready to bring it old school this weekend, then you need to hop off this food truck right now. Why do you think I came this weekend? I don't know, man. It's been a long time. But I do know this. You better be ready to follow my ass down the rabbit hole, brother. I'm talking out of body, baby. Woo! Astral projection. Tobias, we're going to Mad Mary's. Hell yeah. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody messes with the mojo on the last ride. So, isn't it nice to see the boys back? Were you a fan of the first one? I actually was. Um, it's one of them films, it's like, not for you, and then you watch it and you think, eh, kind of liked it. Well, I think everyone expected the first one to be showgirls for girls. Yeah, exactly. And and this time around, what you actually get, you didn't get it, what you got is a thoughtful, sort of considered drama. Yeah, they like they snuck it in. Bit of story without you, <laughs> without you realising. But it was kind of a warning. It was one of those stories you'd seen done before. It's all, hey, here's the, the ups and downs of the, sort of the entertainment lifestyle. Yeah. But, you know, played with heart and sincerity and sort of introspection. And this time around, what you've got is, hey, let's have some fun. Nice. And don't worry about the story. We've got pecs. Yeah, because they did it in the first one. So <laughs> we, we've done story. We've shown them we can do story. We've now ticked let's, that box. Yeah, we've ticked the box. Let's show them we can do fun. 
And that is the name of the game this time. I mean, I mean, this is all fun all the time. Nice. And what you've got, because you've lost Matthew McConaughey and Alex Patty for this time around, their characters have sort of been written out of it. They've they've gone to they've they've gone overseas. I think we're told at one point. Right. And so what you've got is you've got the remaining ensembles. You've got all the supporting characters who never really got storylines last time around, like Kevin Nash. As Tarzan, still, still can't believe it's Kevin Nash. <laughs> I know, I know. And you've got Matt Bomer from uh, White Collar, yeah, Adam yeah. Rodriguez from CSI Miami, and they're all TV actors for some reason. Joe Manganiello from True Blood. They're and all buff TV actors. Very buff TV actors. <laughs> yes. Well, they've all got storylines now. Nice. Like they've all got little individual character arcs. Like Matt Bomer wants to express himself creatively. Joe Manganiello. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Manganiello is uh, is struggling with breaking out of the mould that Matthew McConaughey put him in years earlier. Right. So he's only doing the routines that he's always... As, as Channing Tatum says, look, do you want to be a fireman for the rest of your life? <laughs> do you even like being a fireman? He's like, no, no, I hate being a fireman. Then don't be a fireman. But it's all I know how to do. You know? And, Fair enough. And that does lead to the, the, the highlight of the second act, which is this absolutely fantastic sequence in a convenience store with Joe Manganiello and an unsuspecting cashier, which it will have you howling with laughter. Fair but th- this time as well, because the last movie, um, I say it was aimed, it seemed to be aimed at women. I mean, in terms of its marketing. Yeah. This one, obviously, again, with the marketing aimed at women. Yeah. But what you've got is actually a strong sort of female ensemble as well. So you've got, for instance, Jada Pinkett. Right. Who is, of all the women, walks away with this film. She's just got such sort of goddess-like presence to it. Because she's the MC. Oh, right. She's doing the Matthew McConaughey one yeah, from the yeah, first yeah. one, but this time it's a girl, and it turns out it's a lot more fun because the last one had to you know, do the whole arada arada. This time yeah. it's, it's Jada Pinkett in what seems to be a sprayed-on trouser suit, huh. and she fills that trouser suit very lovely, I must say. <laughs> well done. And uh, and and got Elizabeth Banks has a little cameo in, and she has this two-minute cameo that she makes her own so easily. Like such gravitas to it, and such I am an I am an established legendary actor sort of a performance. Uh, all right. so, but you're not. You're Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. From Zach and me, we make a porno. <laughs> you're not a legendary actor. It's fair enough. But... You, you know when Patrick Stewart turns up at the end of Men in Tights, or Sean Connery turns up at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, he has that little yeah. cameo, and and it, because he's such a great actor, it makes all the impact. Elizabeth Banks does that. As the the admin, as, as the administrator of a stripper convention, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. It's true. And then you've got Andy McDowell puts in a good turn as a sort of uh, would be cougarific, uh, well well funded uh, crumpet. Crumpet. Um, crumpet. And uh, then you've got Amber Heard, who does the, the requisite emotional stuff, who seems to be sort of phoning in the Cody Horn uh, role from the first movie, which nobody cared about. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the the fun is in the boys and their interaction. This is a better bromance than Entourage was. I mean, this is, this is the bromance Entourage wishes it had been. Ah. And you think... Okay, this is kind of weird because this is also a Warner Brothers movie. Why did? Never mind. I'm not even going to get into it. Uh, Charlie Tatum is now the movie star that he was sort of threatening to be last time around, right. and it shows. And he's clearly enjoying himself, and so are all the guys. And it's quite obvious. You have this thing where when you get these casts together, and they had a great time filming it. Yeah. But, it, but you start thinking, I didn't have a good time watching it. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the few times where that pays off, where they've had a good time doing it, you've had a good time watching it, and. If you want to see it in the best possible format, just go and see it on a Friday night at eleven o'clock in the most in the most heavily packed, alcohol fueled, female centric audience imaginable. And oh it's it's unreal. There is nothing like it. So it's like treat it like a strip show. 
get the most from it. Exactly. Treat it like a strip show. Have a few cocktails. Go and sit smack in the middle of an audience full of women. And you will enjoy the hell out of it because you will see exactly what the film is meant to be. You get into the fun of it. Ah, and like good. I say, you can write, you can fit the story on the back of a matchbook. <laughs> but, but it's fun. Um, Steven Soderbergh isn't directing this time. Gregory Jacobs is. But Steven Soderbergh's handling sort of the cinematography side. So it may as well still be a Steven Soderbergh film. It still looks like a Steven Soderbergh film. And he's got the requisite score, you know, lots of uh, bass-heavy R&B grind anthems. And... Is, is Pony back from the first one? Oh, is he the, 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 uh, very, the very heavy... No, uh... it's, uh, it's the song that... Um... Oh, Pony, yes, it does yeah. get mentioned. It gets mentioned <laughs> quite a bit, yes. Uh, the uh, the uh, 90s classic. Yeah, that yeah. does. <laughs> Another thing you've got this time around, by the way, Donald Glover from Community has joined the cast. So Troy Barnes has joined the cast. Really? And he seems to be a stripper based entirely on Pharrell Williams. And I love him for it. Doesn't he just look like a child in comparison to all the huge blokes? Though? <laughs> it's true. He does look like little Troy. In the middle. <laughs> Poor little Troy in the middle of all these very buff grown men. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't hold against him. At least he's trying. But I recommend it. Um, I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, so. sounds good. I mean, it's one of those. But anyway, you'd go with your missus and sh- you know she's guaranteed to have a good time anyway, but you actually will enjoy it yourself for the reasons, probably for the reasons that she would. I mean, you get into the fun of it. Yeah, just make me feel bad about my body. Well, I think that, that happens to all of us. Yeah, it's a standard man response. Although I did discover during the first Magic Mike, that was when I discovered that I have a better behind than Adam Rodriguez. Oh, I remember you saying Do you remember? This, I'm yeah. better behind than... I'm very you, proud of my You were really happy with it. I'm, yeah, I was really, really happy with that. <laughs> so, shall we have some film news? Yeah. Right, so... Uh, right, okay, first of all, do you know uh, Michael Collins? You know I'm rubbish with names. Well, Michael Collins was a Neil Jordan film from 1996, right. starring Liam Neeson. It was about that point when Liam Neeson sort of came to fame as it were. Right. Back when he did dramas, before he started doing action films. Oh, when he was an actor. Back when he was an actor, yes. When he was an actor. Oh, To sorry. give it the 30 Rock inflection. <laughs> actor. Um, yes, he played Michael Collins, the legendary Irish freedom fighter, and he basically made Michael Collins a household name. Right. Well, now it seems uh, a little, there's going to be a little bit of inheritance going on, because Michael Collins is returning to cinema screens in a film called The Rising. And Michael Collins is a character, along with a bunch of other Irish revolutionaries, and this is all about uh, the Easter Rising of, I think, 1916. Right. Uh, Easter Rising 1916, exactly. And Michael Collins now is going to be played by a young actor known as Michael Neeson. And would you not know it? He's the son of Liam Neeson. I've got a picture of him here, if you'd like to see it. Look, that, that, that's what Liam Neeson's son looks like. That's, uh, that's kind of scary. It is kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. To think that there is a, a young buff... He is buffer now than he is in that picture. But oh, right. There is a young, studly version of Liam Neeson kicking around. Does somewhere. this mean we're going to get like Taken done again in 30, 40 years? Pre-Taken. Yeah. Pre-Taken. Oh, I like it. I should sell this one. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I have another piece before we, before we carry on. Uh, oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Who you know wrote Boogie Nights? Did Boogie yeah. Nights and Inherent Vice recently? He has signed on to write Pinocchio, which has been coming for a long time. The Robert Downey, the Robert yeah. Downey Jr. version. This is going to be one of the another one of the live action fairy tales. Robert Downey Jr. is going to play Geppetto, and Paul Thomas Anderson, of all people, is writing the thing. So yeah, that one could go uh, either way, really. I mean, it's it's a bit more franchisey than, yeah. than what Paul Thomas Anderson usually writes, but uh, he likes his character dramas. 
Yeah. Who say? So, right, on to our next review of the week then, and we're going to look at Comet now, uh, which is the latest from Sam Esmail, uh, stars Justin Long and Emmy Rossum. And take it from me, because I've been struggling with this all week, if you type Emmy Rossum into any Apple device, it will autocorrect a possum. Nice. Which is very, very infuriating when you have to edit a bunch of tweets. <laughs> so, uh, Emmy Rossum and Justin Long in Comet by Sam Esmail. This is the story of two sort of star, not star-crossed, I think would be the wrong term. Uh, basically, the film takes place in a self-proclaimed alternative universe, an alternative timeline, as it were, and it takes place over six years. And what you get are sequences out of out of chronological order that chart the relationship of this couple in six different time periods and they're all intercut together like Chris Nolan style. Oh, right, you know, yeah. non-linear. So, you know, the beginning is the end, the end is the beginning, the middle is the middle of the end. That kind of thing. You know? <laughs> so, and it's just the, the relationship between this pair and their struggles, their will they, won't they make it sort of a dynamic. We have a clip. I feel like my life just flashed before my eyes. You know, like in a movie where the main character dies in the beginning, but he keeps going, not realizing he's dead. Like, what, what's that movie I'm talking about? You, you know what I mean. It's like, um, what is it? it, it it's... Oh, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, like uh, uh, Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. Exactly, yeah. Wait, no, you know what? I never saw that. That's the twist that everyone was talking about? Bruce Willis dies in the beginning of that? That sucks. Oh, I really wanted to see that. Justin Long, I mean, Rossum there. Uh, now, I have a weird thing with Justin Long, because... Justin Long, you'll have this as well. You've seen him in a million things. Yeah, loads, I mean, loads. You and I are big fans of Waiting, for yeah, example. Yeah, And you think, how is he not a star? Like, why Why is it he stars in films? He's always quite good in films, yeah. and yet the films never take off. I think I like him more than I like what he does. Exactly, yes. Yeah. You like him more than the films he's in. Although Waiting is fantastic. Waiting is a tremendous film <laughs> and should be should be celebrated as a, as a, just the work of art that it is. Um, but no, so Justin Long has never been launched into out-and-out, name-on-the-poster fame. You can't sell a movie on Justin Long. Yeah, which is a shame. I think he's quite good. Uh, Comet is not going to be the film that does that for him. Oh, right. This is very much an art house type film. Oh. Um, this, I say, it is very much a, a character based drama. It is a character based romantic drama. Mm. No real comedy to it. There's some of that requisite, that token Justin Long wit. Yeah, yeah, if you will, you know the that that snidey, cynical thing that he's always done. For yeah. well, he's doing that again, and the script accommodates him to a degree. Um, the problem is, you've got a film that's tremendously well shot by Sam Esmail, who's written it as well as directed it, and then it, it's it's lovely to look at, stunning to look at. However. His script seems to vary between I know who I'm writing for and here is the most wooden dialogue ever put on paper. Oh, right, right. Here is the most wooden dialogue ever put down onto a substance originally created from wood. (laughs) (laughs) It is that. And Justin Long and Emmy Rossum are very, very good. They're very likeable as the the sort of would-be lovers. Um, But as good as they are, they can't overcome some of the really, really bad dialogue. I mean, there's one monologue towards the very end of the film in which Justin Long gets saddled with 50% awful dialogue and then 50% great dialogue in one big go. Right. And the transition is so jarring that it, (laughs) it, it represents the film perfectly because the film is so constantly up and down that you don't quite know where you how you feel about it at any given time you feel am I liking this am I hating it I'm kind of undecided because it won't seem to pick a tone and stick with it yeah and that's a problem for it like I say though it is stunning to look at beautiful to behold 
but and, and say the relationship is played very well. However, it isn't written very well. All right, and, yeah. and that that's a bit of a problem. Say likable pair, but it's a dissatisfying film. Best thing to say, it's dissatisfying. Have they done well with what they were given? The actors have done great with what they were given. However, they have been given crap. Let's call it that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So more film news then. So uh, oh, loads and loads of different things going on this week. We've got the King Kong prequel, Skull Island. Yes. Coming up. This came out of the Godzilla thing last year. Yeah. Uh, like Godzilla hit big, and then we just thought, oh, "Are we going to get Skull Island next?" And Tom Hiddleston's going to star in it because why the hell not? Exactly. And also J.K. Simmons, and then J.K. Simmons went on, and he apparently did well. Somewhere with some film yeah. about drumming or something. Yeah. Well, also joining the cast, I didn't even know he was in this cast. Michael Keaton is also in the cast of Skull Island. Seriously? Yeah. Or should I say, was. Well, because, right. <laughs> <laughs> because there's now been a delay on Skull Island and it's caused schedule conflicts that have caused J.K. Simmons and Michael Keaton to leave the film. Oh, that's. That's kind of sad. I was it looking is. forward to that. Yeah. Oh, never mind. It's, are they in inverted commas, though? Like, schedule. Schedule conf- scheduling conflicts. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's not like oh, it's rubbish. But let's just call it scheduling. Yeah, conflict. all right. It's fair. not Edgar Wright. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Do you remember New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day? Unfortunately, I do. Yeah. Does Does your Mrs. own? I'm sure she owns one of them. Yeah, on, she's got one of them. She really likes it and will defend it. Really? Yeah. Okay, I, I like Leah Michelle in New Year's Eve, but that's about it. And it's not for acting reasons, if I'm really honest. Um, but uh, we have got a third one of these movies coming now. Um, it's going to be called Mother's Day. Oh, yeah, I've seen bits floating around. Yeah, it's going to be called Mother's Day. And it's going to start Julia Roberts and Jason Sudeikis. And you think, why are you doing this, Jason Sudeikis? You're so much better than this. <laughs> You're better than this, man. Come on. You're better than that, Jason. <laughs> You're only laughing because you heard me tell my dog that. You're better than this. <laughs> but never mind. Mother's Day is coming. It's going to be directed by Gary Marshall, actually, as well, which makes the third collaboration between him and Julia Roberts. Right. Because they he did Pretty Woman, obviously, and uh, Runaway Bride. Right. Uh, but this will be their first collaboration without Richard Gere. Although it's an ensemble, so how hard could it be to get Richard Gere? He might turn up. He might turn up. So, shall we uh, shall we have a look at the box of his top ten then? Yeah, let's do it. Finish off this half. So, let's start at the beginning. Number ten. Slow West. At number ten. Yeah. I mean, it's a new arrival. It's, you know, it, it entered at the very bottom of the chart. And it's not really a commercial venture anyway, so you can sort of live with it opening at number 10. Right. I, I hope it stays in there for another week or so, but I really enjoyed it. I thought, I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. I thought uh, Michael Fassbender and Cody Smithy are great in it. It is a character-heavy Western. It has got some modern flair to the older genre, and I really enjoyed it. It's the kind of film I want to watch again. Oh, huh. but In fact, I, I want to see it on the big screen again. I, I really enjoyed it, and I think everyone should see it at some point. But the problem is, it's inevitably destined for three months' time on film for Sunday night, 9pm, here's your fix. Yeah. And... Frankly, it may be better off that way because that's where it's going to find its audience. There is a touch of the Coen brothers about it, and I think that's going to get your cinephiles. As long as attention. it gets seen, then. As long as it gets seen, and I say this is let's be honest, this is not making Avengers money, is it? Yeah, all right, so. fair enough. So. Number nine. At nine, we've got San Andreas IMAX 3D. Were you a fan of San Andreas? Did you get to see this? I never got to see it. You didn't? I thought you did. I didn't know. I was oh. going to, and then something, and I hate myself for it. <laughs> you hate yourself slightly. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's so many great moments to San Andreas, and they are all these 90s disaster movie beats. Brilliant. As, as we keep celebrating. Like, who are we going to call? 
everybody. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of a Michael Bay design kind of thing. But it's it's not Michael Bay. It's, you know, it's, uh, I forget, it's not Peyton Reed, is it? No, Peyton Reed's Ant-Man. I forget, it's the director of uh, Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Not oh, right, right, right. Uh, because, obviously, this is his second venture with The Rock, who was in the second one of those movies. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. And that's it. I mean, this is, it's fun. It's a fun, old-school, 90s-style disaster movie starring The Rock. What's not to love about that? I love that guy. Exactly. Number eight. At eight, we've got The Longest Ride. The Longest Ride, the latest Nicholas Sparks adaptation. Oh, another one. Well, this is the thing. I, I had that attitude going in, which is, I don't need another Nicholas Sparks adaptation in my life. The moon is transcendent. The moon is transcendent. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and that line, look at the moon tonight, is positively transcendent, keeps me up at night, if I'm honest. That is a uh, favourite of yours. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, it's, it's a line of dialogue that's up there with, um, only the surfer can stop the destroyer. But he <laughs> Is bored. <laughs> Your other favourite. My other favourite line, which is from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yeah. And I guarantee you that Josh Trank's upcoming Fantastic Four reboot will have nowhere near that level of classy dialogue in it. <laughs> but, no, the longest ride, you expect it to be awful. You go in and think, actually, everyone who's involved in this seems to know what they're doing. They seem to know how to play it. And that's kind of admirable because it's the first time anyone's been on that page since The Notebook, way back when. It's been 11, 12 years since The Notebook. And it, this is the first time since The Notebook that they've gone, okay, we need a good lead. We're going to get a good lead. And who do we get for a good lead? Hemsworths are busy. Find me an American Hemsworth. Okay, Scott Eastwood. You don't get more of an American Hemsworth than that. So, so he looks like a Hemsworth. Andy's Clint Eastwood's fantastic. Everything, the, everything we need. D- does he have a flannel shirt and a hat? Brilliant. Okay, we're sold. <laughs> and he needs that. I mean, literally, I think it's one of those things where you can you can you can check off the Nicholas Sparks boxes as you go. And see if you've got sitting by a lake. Check. Is there a cowboy hat? Let's check. Is he sanding down a boat at any point? Okay, brilliant. And is there a, well, is there is there someone going off to war? Okay, fantastic. And then we have to have a death. And then okay, and it is that. And, and it is the checklist thing. But everybody involved, so Scott Eastwood, Britt Robertson, Jack Houston, Luna Chaplin, Alan Alan Alder, bit of a tongue twister. Um, they all seem to know the film they're making, and right. they manage to make it work. Oh, right. So you know what? First time in twelve years, I'll go with it. First Nicholas Sparks movie that's worked for me. Fair I'm not saying it's a great film, believe me. This is not Dawn of the Planet of the Apes we're talking about. It, it is still a Nicholas Sparks movie. It's just not a bad one. It's just not a particularly awful one. So well, what have we got next? Number seven. At seven, we've got Knock Knock. Oh, Knock Knock. Oh, we were talking about Knock Knock earlier, which is. Just awful. Just, just, just <laughs> so dreadful. It doesn't look good. I mean, it's, it's a movie that begins with, here's ten minutes of Keanu Reeves playing a happy dad. Whoa, my family's cool. Oh, Monster wants breakfast. And you're like, your family life is so nauseating that when this film, when the plot of this film inevitably turns and the idea is that you're going to be taken away from it, I kind of want you to be. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. looking. I'm looking forward to you suffering purely for me having sat through the nauseating scenes in which you're like, "Whoa, I love you so much," like my world. And you're like, "Shut up, Keanu." And <laughs> it's awfully cast, awfully written. It's shot as if the director's only other film was Hostel. Nice. Which you know we probably would have been better off if his only other film was Hostel. And no. Just no, a thousand times no. It's basically fatal attraction for the YOLO generation. Oh, it is 
Death and the Maiden for Morons. It is... It's funny games for Snapchatters. You can pick your mixtures on this one. Pick something ridiculous and current, and then a classic hostage-taking film, emotional torture film. It's that for that. Basically, that's how it works. Fair enough. What it isn't, however, is anything resembling an enjoyable experience. Number six. Lost out to count for a second. Uh, Entourage. Entourage, yes. Well, what, what's left to say about uh, that good old Entourage? I never it's... watched the TV show, so it's... No, I'm sure I tried to push You've it on tried, you You've tried. I've but... tried to push it on Yeah. But, uh, no, Entourage is... It, it's not even a particularly good movie continuation of its own series. Brilliant. I mean, you can you can basically sit there and go, eh, eh, fine, fine, I'll take it. It's got the same people. It's got the same people. At least they haven't recast Vince. You know, <laughs> actually, no, no, bad example, because the guy who plays Vince has always been awful anyway. Because oh, right. he, he makes for the least believable movie star ever. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the worst thing I can say about Entourage is that Sex and the City made a better movie. Oh, dear. Sex and the City became a better... You know, it made more of a logical transition from TV to movie than Entourage did. Now, Entourage was always made rather theatrically anyway, but Sex and the City was as well to a degree. And when Sex and the City became a movie, it looked like it had visually transitioned. This just seems like, hey, we're just going to make another episode, but it's going to be two hours long. Is it like when they do a cartoon film and it's just a, a longer cartoon No, episode? no, bad idea, because when, when they do a cartoon uh, movie, it usually has a movie plot. All right, uh, fair enough. It, do you know what it is? It, it's the old uh, Star Trek conundrum. The old Star Trek conundrum was always, we don't want to make films that are just extended episodes. And on the few times that they did, they admitted that they had, and they accepted sort of responsibility for why it failed, so like Star Trek Insurrection, for example. Yeah. Um, this is the same problem. What you've done is made an extended episode, right. or what you've done is actually made five extended episodes and then stuck them back to back, yeah. and your storylines are the exact length of an episode, and that's the problem. That is a problem. Very big problem. Yeah. Number five. Empire Strikes Back, which... Uh, Secret cinema. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I mean, it's doing well. It's, it's, I love the fact we, we always know how much money Empire Strikes Back has made because it's sold out, so... It's so weird to yeah. see it in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it counts as tickets, and because it's BBFC rate, it counts as ticket sales. Fair enough. So, yeah, well, what's to say about the Empire Strikes Back? You're not allowed to, yeah, you're not allowed to say anything about it because it's secret cinema, so... Yeah, exactly. You you haven't seen Empire Strikes Back until about a year ago, though, have yeah, you? Yeah, like recently, just with you. You were offended that I'd I was seen offended it. I made you watch the original trilogy. I thank you for that. I'm glad. Number four. Number four, Mr. Holmes, which I'm actually looking forward to seeing if I can still catch it. Strangest thing about Mr. Holmes is when you look at the marketing for it, it actually does sell an, a, a regular, you know, Sherlock Holmes mystery. Yeah. Albeit one way, one in which Ian McKellen is an older Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Elementary, dear. And <laughs> no, thank you. I'm, I'm working on some of my impersonations. <laughs> my Keanu seems to go in and out. But, uh, I mean, it is, it is very enjoyable. McKellen is terrific in it. As is uh, Laura Lynn. In fact, the cast are uniformly superb. I particularly like uh, Roger Allen's little uh, little appearance in it as well. I'm a big fan of Roger Allen. But uh, Bill Condon, beautifully directed, wonderfully shot, well written, very sharply written, and uh, Ian McKellen. Well, it's not like he's ever going to turn in a bad performance. Exactly. Is it? Exactly. Yeah. Number three. At number three, we've got Spy. Oh, did you see some? You must have seen oh, Spy. I saw Spy, and did I you laugh your ass off so hard. <laughs> All the way through. I've had this arm taken off. I put back on back. Never mind. I'm going to finish that line. Um, how good is Jason Statham in Spy? I don't think he'll ever realise how good he is. 
Well, it's Channing Tatum in Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, exactly. When no one thought he could do comedy, and then he did this, and you're like, wow. Yeah. Re- not only can he do comedy, he can do comedy. Yeah. It's so much fun. So much. I mean, Melissa McCarthy's great, but we expect her to be. We just don't expect exactly. Stephen to be. Yeah, exactly. You just expect her to be good. It's like this is what you do. Yeah, this is what you do. You're fine. Yeah, good, good job and everything. Pat on the back. You know, come on, toddle along. <laughs> Yeah, Stath, have a hammer. <laughs> it's that sort of a moment. If there is a reason to see Spy above all else, see it for Jason Statham. Just for his little explanations of how good a spy he is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> number two. At number two, we've got Jurassic World, IMAX 3D. Now, you saw this one as well, I know this one. Yeah, but not in IMAX, but I was oh. sat very close to the screen, so... Oh, same diff then. Yeah, yeah same diff. <laughs> like a really budget version. Same diff, you sat close to the screen. I'm a big fan of Jurassic World. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, I'm really glad it's done, because it's done so much business. It's been kind of stupid. I mean, have you seen how much money this has pulled in in week three? This is nearly £6 million in, in week three. That's crazy. That is that is just bonkers, and it deserves to. It is it does. a great summer ride. For yeah. lack of any other better description, uh, you can pick it to pieces if you want to, but why would you want to? Exactly. Why? Why do well, it? You're dead inside. You, 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 <laughs> you're, you're dead inside. There's, 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 no, there's no wonder left in you if that's what you're going to do. You know when people say, well, it's not as good as the first one, it's like. It, it's not meant to be. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be. And then these people are like, oh, it just makes me think of the first one. I'm like, then you're having a good thought. Like, I'm yeah. failing to see a then problem. You should be happy. <laughs> yeah. At least you're not thinking of the third one. <laughs> number one. And number one. We have Minions, IMAX 3D. No, I know you saw this because you went with me. Yes, I did. You were a fan, weren't you? Oh, I loved it. Loved I did it. It's so wacky and zany. And I've seen it again since. Have you? Did you go again and see it? Yeah. Oh, did you? Did you take hell? Is that what it was? No, I went uh, just with friends that were going, and I was like, you know what? It's really funny, so I'm going. <laughs> I'm not. Even, I'm not even going to fault you for that. She was yes. away for work. I'm not that bad a person. No, exactly. <laughs> no, it is a lot of fun, and it is wacky, zany, colourful all over the place. It has that wonderful Looney Tunes aesthetic. Yeah. Despicable, the first Despicable Me made it's all of its own, and it goes back to the villain sort of world of the first movie, which was always the most fun exactly. part. Yeah. And yeah, Sandra Bullock and John Hamm are kind of, I, I think they suffer kind of because it is the Minions film, but I did love Michael Keaton and Alison Janney as the, the family that the Minions encounter. Yeah, they're so brilliant. Much, so much fun. The little cutbacks to them as well, and you yeah. see them again and you're like, oh, yes. so much fun. But no, I really enjoyed it. I, 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 I wouldn't say I want to see more Minions movies, I want to see more good Despicable Me movies. Yeah. But this isn't as good as the first Despicable Me, but it's better than the second, I would say. I like that they've done one. Um, and I don't want them to do any more. So just put them, put them in the Despicable Me movies, but we've still got a good Minions movie as well. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. Welcome back to Offscreen. So should we have a look at uh, Amy now yeah, then? Yeah, we shall. Okay, so Amy, which is the uh, latest from Senna director Asif Kapadia. I believe his name is. Nice. Uh, uh, Indian-born British document uh, documentary filmmaker. Now, obviously, Senna went down pretty well about oh, five was, years ago. That was so good. And uh, well, it won all the Baftas, didn't it? I thought it, I thought it had won the uh, the Oscars, and I think it had been nominated but not won. Oh, right. It did win Baftas. As however. long as it won something, it was brilliant. Well, he's taken a few years off. He's uh, gone and he's covered uh, Amy Winehouse now. Right. And so, what we've got now is uh, his follow-up documentary, which chronicles the life and tragic demise of. Amy Winehouse. Is there a need to explain who Amy Winehouse is? So we no. just assume that everyone knows. Everybody knows. The singer with the beehive hairdo. Let's just say that. Yeah. There you go. Okay, here's a clip. I look like a floating head. You know, I've got no hair. I'm just on a black screen. There's my hand. What's going on? We'd recorded quite a few demo recordings. 
and I started to talk about whether she'd ever consider writing. She said she's not sure about writing songs, but she's written a lot of poems. She knew full well she'd been writing songs, but they were very personal songs. Now, I, I, I don't know an awful lot about Amy Winehouse. Didn't, didn't know going into the film. Didn't know an awful lot. I just know what the tabloids told me to know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, this is the problem, though, because we live in a culture that is so tabloid-obsessed. It's so gossip-fueled, uh, you know, Digital Spy, Us Weekly, EW, all that kind of stuff. And so it kind of feels like Amy Winehouse never went away, so to speak, even though she's been dead for four years now. Yeah. It sort of feels like she's still around because we're constantly hearing about her. Yeah. And so this 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 film nicely, sort of effectively takes that notion and sort of burrows it right down into the heart of itself. So it uses the idea of the the tabloid as... You know, Amy Winehouse as tabloid fodder right. to actually fuel itself and what it does is it's quite effective it has a number of sequences for instance in which tabloid photographers are viewed as outright sort of rage fueled attackers right. so it films you know the sequences when someone when Amy Winehouse would be would walk from her house to her car yeah. and they'd be on her they'd be papping her constantly those are shot with all the furious intensity of an action sequence oh, right. so as if like the camera lens could be a bullet could be bullets you know yeah, it's yeah. shot in that, that sort of a way now um, it begins when Amy Winehouse is about 15, 16 I believe right and it's actually shocking. It's nothing like how she winds up looking. Yeah. Nothing yeah. like the iconic Amy Winehouse look. And it ends, obviously, naturally with her death, which is in 2011. And what he's done is he's not done talking head interviews. He's interviewed, I think it's 100 people he's interviewed. And what he does is uh, he simply uses the audio over actual footage. Right. So there's no actual talking head component to it. Uh, he breaks this brief, I think, with Blake Fielder, Seville, or whatever his name is, the, yeah. late, the late husband. Um, but the people involved in it have seemingly sort of reached this quiet consensus of, let's just be really direct, let's be really honest about it, let's not sugarcoat it, let's do this raw, let's let's really expose what we think of it. Right. Um, but this is done in such a way so that Capadia's uh, sort of presentation doesn't present a narrative to you, it simply lays the thread there for you and allows you to pick it up on your own. Right. Now, this is particularly relevant in the case of, for instance, Mitch Winehouse, and I forget the name of her manager, her second manager, and their sort of activities involving her career. Very much in their... Because it'd be very easy for the film to say, it's all Mitch Winehouse's fault, yeah, it's yeah, all it this other guy's fault. The film doesn't. The film simply allows you to interpret it that way if you... Now, that's how I interpreted it. Right, yeah. Because obviously, there, there obviously there were mental health issues, which again the film does not sugarcoat. The film really does delve into them. There is a drugs counselor who constantly provides us with sort of background information of look when it's famous people, there is a tendency for this to happen. There is also a tendency for this to happen. When it comes to treating people in this in this sort of mental state you have to be prepared for this, 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 and this. And it lays it all bare quite directly. They do not sugarcoat it. And when it comes to showing us the more, the, the darker, gritty, I wouldn't say depraved, uh, darker, grittier aspects of what happened to Amy Winehouse, they don't skip on that either. So the famous uh, image of her really decayed skeletal yeah. state, when she was wasting away, really, uh, that's presented to us 
for a very prolonged period in great detail. So you um, can like, take it in. So you can really take it in. The film wants to smack you over the head with the reality of it and say, look, we're not here to present you with a fairy tale. The idea is we're here to present you with a portrait of a woman who could have been a legend. Yeah. And the idea is that you can interpret what happened along the way for yourself. And meanwhile, what you've got is Asif Kapadia's um, stylistic direction, because the film looks beautiful. Incredibly slick, energetic, uh, constantly moving, a lot of motion involved. And he's used some really great cinematography to sort of to sort of anchor the film between various sort of cutscenes and montages, a lot of tra- a lot of really great transition stuff in there, and then of course you have throughout all of it this really great Amy Winehouse score, which because yeah. you forget how good the music actually was. Yeah, you do because of all the tabloids. Exactly, because of all the tabloid fuel over the years, you sort of forget how good the music was. And the film brilliantly reminds reminds you of that. Now, it's, it's fairly unbiased. It's, it's, neither, it's not for the fans, and it's not for the detractors. It is very much a state-of-play sort of a documentary. Oh. And you don't really expect anything, anything less from the director of Senna. Yeah, it, well, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's stirring, it's moving when it needs to be, when it gets to, because there are some really heart-wrenching moments to it, for obvious reasons, um, but it's also incredibly insightful. There's a lot more thoughtfulness in there than you would actually expect from a musical doc, you know, musical doc. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's another sort of triumphant film for Asif Kapadia. It and sounds like it. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I, I recommend it. Definitely recommend it. I would go see it. Because you also seem to be more of a fan of Amy Winehouse than I, I was going in. Yeah, I'm a fan of her music. I ignored the... You, you ignored the rest. Yeah. Well, you know me. I, I didn't, never particularly liked Amy Winehouse. Didn't, not because I didn't like the music. I think I think I was just it was the overexposure, the tabloid yeah, overexposure being thrown at you. Yeah. Music was perfectly fine. Yeah. But uh, I say I I have a lot more sort of respect for the story. I think after having seen the film. All right. Well, that's yeah. success then. So yes, it's successful for me in that regard. <laughs> so let's uh, have a look then at what else we've got in the news this week. Oh, uh, Ashley's War. Have you heard about this one? No. This is the story of uh, female Green Berets in Afghanistan. All right. Uh, famous book by Ashley White, who was one of these Green Berets. She's written a book called Ashley's War. Reese Witherspoon is going to turn it into a film. Go figure. Reese Witherspoon. Mm. She's really uh, getting out there as a sort of producer, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, she's like come back again, isn't she? Yeah. So um, there was a Spock documentary coming out. Nice. Yeah, this has uh, been sort of spearheaded by Adam Adam Nimoy, the son of Oh, Adam yeah, Nimoy. yeah, yeah. And it's called For the Love of Spock. Brilliant. And uh, this was Kickstarter funded. It's now reached its Kickstarter goal. So it looks like we're going to get our For the Love of Spock documentary. Well played internet. Oh, we've got to talk about the, uh, the the Star Trek and Guardians titles because Star Trek Three is now officially Star Trek Beyond, right? And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two is now officially Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, nice. Yeah, go figure on yeah. that one. Uh, okay, one final piece then. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to be directing the Dark Justice movie. Yeah, he was. Yeah, well, he's not anymore. Oh, he's, right. he's now left it. Oh. And yeah, that, that that's kind of a shame. I'll be honest, I, I was really looking forward to that. People but... stopped caring about that well, now. that's it, because Guillermo del Toro, who, who else could make that concept work? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's your go-to guy. He would have been perfect for it. So, should we have a look at Terminator Genesis, then? Yeah, let's do it. 
Okay, so Terminator Genesis, which is from Adam uh, Adam Alan Taylor, who brought us Thor: The Dark World, uh, former Game of Thrones director. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the well, the latest attempt to reboot the Terminator universe. So this time around, what you've got is you've got the future war sequence that all these movies start with. Yeah. You know, John Connor leads the troops in the future. Lots of lasers. It all looks like the beginning of Days of Future Past. You know, that kind of thing. Um, only this time, for the very first time, we get shown the time machine. You know, the Skynet time machine that sends the Terminators and Carl Reese back in time. Yeah, right, we actually yeah. see it now for oh, the first right. time. This is how they discover. Well, I say discover. John Connor, for obvious reasons, knows it's there. Yeah, he leads his army to discover the time machine for the very first time, and we go through the motions of I need someone to go back in time, protect my mom. Hey, Kyle, why don't you do it? Because you know you seem like you got nothing on. You know why are you, <laughs> <laughs> you going to do it? And Kyle Reese this time around is played by Jai Courtney. Uh, A.K.A. John McClane's son. Yeah, let's not. Let, let's never revisit that. Okay, so A.K.A. that guy from the water... Never mind the water... Never mind that one. Okay, A.K.A. Was, that guy from... Di- never mind, not the guy from his terrible yeah, diversion yeah, as well. And I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just call him a bad actor and I'm, good, I'm done with it. So yes, so Jai Courtney travels back in time. Only this time, there is a rupture in the timeline. History has changed. Bum, bum, bum. Exactly. I mean, you could literally do that moment in it. So, <laughs> so Kyle Reese arrives back in 1984, and we get the sequence from the original Terminator again. You know where he arrives outside the department store, and he's naked, and he gets the, the Nike vandals, and he puts those on, yeah. and gets the over the trench coat off the homeless guy in the trousers, and, and he's in the department store. And right, only this time, a T-1000 appears. Wouldn't you know it? Oh. So a Robert Patrick model, only this time it's played by, by Young Hun Lee from Red 2 and G.I. Joe. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah Connor arrives in full commando mode to take the thing out and tell him, the future, it turns out, really isn't set. It's all changed. Only this time the present's changed as well because the past was altered to begin with. And what we then have is a whole new Terminator timeline right? in which Sarah Connor is now a full-on commando under the tutelage of Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Terminator, who's now referred to as Pops. Literally. Oh. He's a father figure. He's called Pops. I call my dad Pops. Exactly. And with Kyle Reese, uh, they must travel forward through time to 2017, because Judgment Day's been moved, so that they can, <laughs> so that they can stop the launch of this new service called Genesis hence the ridiculous spelling of the title, uh, Genesis, which is this cloud-based app that links desktops and tablets and is, in fact, a Trojan horse for Skynet to infect the internet and take over the world and, of course, bring out the apocalypse and Judgment Day. But wait, there's more. But we're not going to reveal those for spoiler reasons. Here's a clip. <laughs> hey, hey. What's wrong with this picture? Nice night for a walk, eh? Nice night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right? Nothing clean. Right. Yeah, I think this guy's a couple cans short of a six-pack. <laughs> Your clothes. Give them to me. Now. You won't be needing any clothes. I've been waiting for you. So yes, Terminator Genesis. You excited for this one? Yeah. <laughs> I could I could just see you glazing over as I go into the the the, the mechanics of it. That was no ridiculous. pun intended. Yeah, it is really. Put it this way: there's a moment in Terminator Three 
uh, if you remember that one, in which uh, was, it was Nick Starr, wasn't it, back then, who played John Connor. He says, hang on, we stopped Judgment Day. How, how are you still here? And Arnold Schwarzenegger says to him, uh, you didn't stop Judgment Day, you just postponed it. Judgment Day is inevitable. And the problem is, you know, after five of these movies, you can't help but think, yeah, you, you could actually use that exact phrase to describe this franchise. You simply cannot end it. It carries on. It's inevitable. That's what it just says on the front of the box there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You're basically, there is no end but that what we make for ourselves. Uh, so what you've got here is you've got this sort of weird hybrid of you've got the Days of Future Past model, which is the, you know, the franchise all-star team-up thing. Yeah. Let's just get every popular character into one movie and we'll get them all together and yeah the fast five model if yeah, you will. yeah yeah and then we'll fuse it with uh jj abram star trek reboot where we create a whole new timeline we can do whatever we want yeah you take an established franchise but you can do new things with it but that's the idea this is not as good as either of those movies this is not half as good as either of those two movies to put it that way um on a very 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 base visceral level on a purely enjoyment based level it's fine it's fu- but it's nothing more than fine. There's something very televisual about it. And that's not helped by the fact that if you know the Terminator franchise, the plot is literally the plot of the TV show pilot. They've got the plot of the Sarah Connor Chronicles in here. Right. Which is, you know, let's... Okay, we'll get one of the Reese boys and we'll travel forward through time. Uh, uh, okay. It's been made with seemingly no reverence whatsoever to what's come before. No respect to the fact that this began life as a horror B-movie. A horror-infused sci-fi B-movie. What you've got instead is a bunch of CG-enhanced chase sequences. And you think, it's a chase movie. I get that you need to computer animate a Terminator. Although, if we're being really honest about that, I just want to point out, is it not a bit daft that in 2015 we somehow have computer animated effects for a T-1000 that don't look as good as the ones from 1991? Really? Oh, so it's not like the other prequels and stuff where things are better. It's gone the other way. No, no, we've gone the other way. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. There's no no heft whatsoever to the T-1000 anymore, or indeed the... New Terminator. The less, uh, the less we say about that one, however, the better, because we have a new Terminator called a T three thousand, and yeah, I don't really want to go into that one, <laughs> except someone's been watching Star Trek: First Contact a little bit too much because it's literally a plot point from there. Nice. <laughs> so, but this is the thing: outside of the very, very basic entertainment level, um, what you've got is you've got a franchise which wants to lay the groundwork for a, for a new franchise, a new franchise in which. Anything can happen. The only problem is, that's a lot of potential. There's a lot of potential there, and this film does nothing with that potential. Nothing. Just literally, hey, you know what? No one's seen a car chase across the Golden Gate Bridge for a while. You're like, no, 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 we have. We, we, we saw that in the last Plant the Apes movie. We, we, we've seen that recently. Yeah, we had apes we had, do this. And then we had Godzilla, and then we had... Yeah, yeah, not really blowing our minds here. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, there's nothing new to this. It's the same thing again. And it's not helped by the fact that, of course, because it's a Terminator movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger has to show up and say exactly the same lines that he always has. Great. There is a moment in this film in which a somewhat mythical Terminator character says the exact, the, 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 repeats the monologue from the first one, can't be bargained with, can't be reasoned with, will not stop ever until you, that whole thing. Yeah. And you just think, yes, but in the context you're using it, that makes no sense. And that's another thing about the film. It's A to B logic is non-existent. 
right? There is an article doing the rounds on the internet at this very moment in time that explain, apparently attempts to explain the new Terminator timeline. Now, it goes on for about four solid sides of A4 if you print it out. Really? And it still does not accurately explain what the hell this new timeline is. I don't want to get stuck into the temporal mechanics of it all, other than to say that this is frankly a franchise which has now passed its sell-by date. It's not entertaining, it's not interesting, it has absolutely nothing to say on any subject or any level whatsoever. It constantly tells us the future is not set, and yet <laughs> we're constantly bombarded with the reality of the fact that we're watching a bunch of performers who flat out know that they have three picture deals and yeah. henceforth can't really be killed off. I mean, Schwarzenegger in particular. You start thinking, right, having come up with an excuse once and for all to give us an Arnold Schwarzenegger who's as physically aged as he is in reality, but of course, you know, it's a Terminator, so we have to have an old. Yeah. After coming up with an excuse that finally works for that one, you have to then keep the game away. So we know, we know, for instance, he can't die. Great. We know that he can because he's got a three picture deal. Yeah, falls over itself. So, so, so this kind of stumbles over itself. This is the Marvel problem. This yeah. is the Marvel problem inherent. We know Iron Man can't die. We know Captain America can't get shot in the head at the end of Civil War because there's another Avengers movie around the corner. This is the problem. It is the Marvel problem and he's now applying to other preordained franchises. That's the problem of bringing things back, though. Well, again, I mean, oh god! I mean, after having seen RoboCop desecrated last oh, year, let's and now not. this, let's not. no, I mean, the 3D again, pointless. IMAX, great, but unfortunately hindered somewhat by the 3D. You then got the cast. Schwarzenegger, yes, he has his fun, but he always has his fun because he does the same thing over and over. <laughs> so you know, you you know now the performance you're going to get out of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it's a question of whether or not you want to see it for a fifth, sorry, fourth, because he's not really in the last one, is he? Time. Whether or not you want to see it for the fifth time. You've got Jai Courtney then, who he's awful, he's always awful, but to his credit, he's helped somewhat by the fact that Christian Bale was worse in the last movie. Oh, I forgot I mean, about that one. Yeah. yeah, Christian Bale with his I just really don't want to be here performance. Yeah. I mean, hell, even Bryce Dallas Howard phoned it in in that movie. <laughs> and then you've got Amelia Clark, who presents the greatest conundrum imaginable in that she's. A, too good an actress to simply be parroting Linda Hamilton. Right. And don't worry, there's a lot of that to that. But she's also too sort of charming and endearing and just cute yeah. to be taken seriously as Commando T2 mode Sarah Connor. Right. And you're thinking, I, I kind of don't feel like any part of this works. I mean, don't get me wrong, Amelia Clark, great performer, and it's nice to see her on the big screen and everything. But this just this is not the role. This really is not it. And then you've got Jason Clark. He does the best he can with very, very poor writing. But you know what? It's still very, very poor writing. Um, it's a film that is I mean it's better than Salvation. Right. Terminator Salvation is worse than this. This is better than Terminator Salvation. Just a step up. Exactly, but it does not have that underdog, that sort, that that, resp that sort of admirable underdog quality that Terminator Three had. Right. Terminator Three is the movie that shouldn't have been any cop. Wasn't much cop, but at least it was some cop. This is no cop. <laughs> you know, this is zero cop. No cop whatsoever. And uh, oh, oh, actually, on the subject of cops, J.K. Simmons does turn up as a cop in this, and he is a lot of fun. Um, however, as one of the two, one of the, the film's two sort of surprise roles, I will point out that the other surprise role is ruined by stunt casting. Great. And if I just say the word TARDIS, you might have a vague idea 
what that involves. Uh, like I say, it's not as good as Rise of the Machines. It's better than Salvation. But frankly, it's not any good. So, eh. yeah. Yeah. So, oh, competitions. So we've got to plug those this week. Because, uh, you know, you can go along to onscreenfilm.com, you can go to the competition section and win some swag. <laughs> if you're going to get swag, as Winston would say. Winstone. Is it Winstone? Ray Winstone? Or Winston? Yeah, whichever one you want, really. Yeah, I think you can. But, uh, yeah, so this week we've got uh, competitions for The Wedding Ringer. Uh, we're giving away uh, uh, Blu-ray prize packs, the wedding ringer. You get like an emergency wedding kit. So you nice. get like a shot glass, a coffee mug, a tuxedo <laughs> t-shirt. Oh, brilliant. Li- you even get a little sweetie pack oh, as well. Nice. Like that's It's nice. like a little torpedo full of sweets oh. and, and a copy of the Blu-ray. Uh, you can get, uh, we're giving Chappie DVDs away as well. Yeah. So, you know, Chappie had, had its fans, it seems. Um, oh, you know what else? The Sharknado Oh Hell No trailer came out today. Brilliant. The, the trailer for Sharknado 3. If you've not seen it, pop along to our YouTube channel. Uh, it's in the trailer section. So just go to on-screen film on YouTube in the trailer bay. Or, you know, it's on the front page of our website in the sidebar. There's a whole upcoming movies thing where there are currently 52 trailers in a line. You can just, just press play and play them all. Oh, did you know this? I do now. This is why we own Apple TV, so that we can do this. <laughs> I, you know, this is how I watch them half the time. This is how I watch trailers now. I just use our own trailer feed. Nice. <laughs> so, okay, well, one final film then for the week. Shall we look at uh, the first film? So, the first at, film... At which the is, end. At, at the end. So, the, the first film, which is a documentary by uh, David Nicholas Wilkinson. And this is a bit of a revisionist historical uh, tale, this one. Because what... This is uh, the chronicle of David Wilkinson's 33-year quest, apparently, to prove that cinema was invented in Leeds, of all places. And not, as previously thought, in France, two years later, by the Lumiere brothers. And so what he does is he travels around, he talks to a lot of experts he talks to uh, for instance uh, Tom Courtney Joe Estahars uh, everybody in the know that he can get access to and he really oh. does get it goes all the way to the US goes around Europe and he tries to prove that instead of the Lumiere brothers it was in fact Louis Le Prince who invented cinema in Leeds with the Round Hay Garden Party all the way back in 1886 here's a clip have you ever heard of a man called Louis Le Prince never I have not. I never heard of Louis Le Prince. Le Prince was the first person to capture continuous movement from a single point of view, which predated anything by Edison or the Lumiere brothers. Le Prince was never to receive the acclaim he deserved, and in an industry that's had a thousand tragedies, his was the very first. Louis Le Prince came to Leeds in 1866. It was a time of really very great change. All sorts of things were being discovered. You know, it was a place where you could make things happen. Some aspects of photography started to inspire people into capturing motion. David Nichols Wilkinson's documentary, the first film there. Now, I, I was quite a fan of this. It was a really, really good-natured documentary because given the nature of it, which is, oh, you know, we're trying to write a historical wrong. Yeah. So to speak, you sort of, it feels like one of those films that you, you could get up on your high horse about. You know, if you, you're, I mean, if you're the, the documentary maker, you could be on your high horse. Yeah. This is wrong. This is an injustice. This is a travesty. But no, what he actually does with it is to say... Hey, you know, this is what a school teacher told me once upon a time. I believe it, and I've looked into it, and I found a couple of little bits of evidence that say I'm probably right. So here, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm going to lay it all out for you, 
and then I'm going to try and figure out just what the hell happened. What is the story here? And let's say he's actually a really good documentary documentary presenter because he has a sort of not tongue in cheek, but just a rather pleasant tone to proceedings, a sort of earnest likability right. to him. And he's a, he's a bit of a quirky character. I've never met the man. I've spoken to him very briefly, but I've never met him. But he seems to be quite a quirky character purely based on his on screen antics. Right. Yeah. And uh, Tony Earnshaw is in this, by the way, who, nice. who you've met a few yeah. times. You've met Tony. Uh, Tony Earnshaw is in the film. Brilliant. And uh, gets to actually partake in a contemporary reenactment, a restaging of the original film from 1886. Nice. So they actually make it on the exact spot in Leeds where the original was filmed. They find it and it's on like it's in like a suburb now. Right. It was like a, a you it's know, not like a student area. It's not like a student area. <laughs> <laughs> it's now a weatherspoon. Yeah. <laughs> that was dumb luck really. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he talks to a lot of people from the BFI, for example, and a lot of uh, cinema cinema technology experts. Uh, it is very much a, a, vis- a sort of a visible labour of love. Um it's aided by this really charming, really whimsical musical score by Chris Bar uh, Chris Barnett. And uh, I keep forgetting. I keep calling him Chris. It's Christopher Barnett. Oh. Uh, Christopher Barnett. It's got a really whimsical score to it. I was, I, I thought, really sold the tone of the film, and it kept it all really upbeat and really positive. Yeah. And that upbeat and positive thing really helps it through, particularly when you get to some of the darker aspects of the story. Because I mean, at one point, it is suggested, for instance, that Thomas Edison had Louis Le Prince killed. Oh, right. So that he could invent cinema himself. But, uh, you know what, it overcomes it through the power of basically Wilkinson's very outgoing, charming, positive demeanour and this really sort of whimsical little score. Um, there's a brief point in which it loses itself to Technobabble. Right. Which, and it's when they're describing cinema equipment. It seems to go on for about 15 minutes. Probably not, but it feels yeah. like it goes on for about 15 minutes. But to the film's credit, it's at least fairly well explained and quite well clarified, well defined. If you're interested in it. If you're interested, I would imagine it's great. Yeah. I wasn't so much in the moment. I'm sure tomorrow I'm interested, but I wasn't in the moment. I, I think it took away from the story that was being told. Right. But I understand why it's there, and yes, it's important, but I felt like it took away from what, what the journey we were on at that point. Right. Um, the film, it doesn't so much take on shock tactics. It sort of sweeps shock tactics aside and just goes for, let's be straight and well-intentioned about everything. Okay. And on that front, I think it works for quite a successful presentation of the argument that Dave Wilkins is trying to make. I, I mean, I now believe, I now genuinely believe Louis Le Prince invented cinema. Oh, that, so that, that it, to me, it worked it, it on worked, me. It yeah. worked on me. Although, you know, I've been won over twice by documentaries in, in a week now, it would seem. Yeah. I now <laughs> like Amy Winehouse as well. <laughs> but, yes, I say, it, it keeps its head above water with this, with its tone more than anything else and its good nature and it is quite sweet and pleasant and, and good about what it's, what it's doing. And, uh, say, it, it's a bona fide cinematic mystery that's being unveiled before you and being explored Explored. And I think it works really, really well. That's brilliant. So, film of the week this week. Uh, I'll be honest. I think Amy's terrific. I think the first film is very good. Uh, so it's it's for me. It's between the two documentaries, right. and I think they're equal. They're, they're equally good for different reasons. Do you want to cheat? Give one film and give one doc of the week. <laughs> okay. All right. How about this? Uh, Amy's Amy is the better film. The first film is the better documentary. Brilliant. And Magic Mike is the most fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, Magic Mike was a lot of fun. i got to admit, I, I, I did enjoy it. So, next week, of course, uh, we've got the return of Ted. Oh, we do. We or do. to give him his full name, having seen the film, Ted Clubberlang. Nice. 
Yeah, because yeah, if you can decipher that, then yeah. We've also got The Choir, which is uh, directed by uh, Dustin Hoffman, which is a British film directed by Dustin Hoffman about a, a school choir. Uh, Dear White People is finally out next week. Have you seen the trailer for this no. one? No. Yeah, Wilson and I saw this last year. It didn't go down well. Right. Um, we have Love and Mercy with uh, John Cusack as uh, Brian Wilson. From Beach Boys? Yes. Have you seen... You must have seen it's on BBC News. Uh, yeah, recently. I've seen, I've seen bits, yeah. But it's John Cusack and Elizabeth Banks. Uh, we have... Oh, Song of the Sea is finally uh, released next week, which is the uh, the anime tale from... Uh, it was uh, popular around the time of the Oscars. Oh, I saw a um, uh, trailer for it before Minions, I think. There, yeah. yeah, you go, oh, yeah. the second time. <laughs> and, of course, the film that needs no introduction, Human Centipede 3. Final sequence gets its UK release next Friday. So we'll be covering all that and more next week. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Come with me if you want to live.